Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Sherry. Hi, I'm Sherry, compulsive overeater. Hi, Thank you, Sarah, for asking me to lead. You know, I've been in program for nine and a half years, and this is my first time speaking here. So um, I am no stranger to these rooms. I um, am passing a, a picture around, and I came in at 2005, March of 2005, at 292 pounds, busting out of a size 28 and I have had three relapses in nine and a half years, so I am no stranger to relapse. I currently have 21 months out of a relapse I never thought I would get out of, and I'm 140, 145 pounds down from my top weight and wearing a size 8. So big, big, big difference, huge, even more so journey. I had no idea what this would be like, what OA would like. So, you know, just to go back in time and say, you know, what happened. And I'm really going to try hard not to swear, but (laughs) sometimes it's just like punctuation marks for me. Um, So what it was like, you know, I didn't come from an alcoholic, abusive, razorholic, or any kind of family. Uh, The only complaint, I guess I could say, was a smothering Jewish family. And I had a, a brother and... He was a skinny brother, and I was probably a little bit chubby, and it was not to be. No girl in our household was going to have a little bit of fat, any kind of whatever, on her body. And my weight became everybody's business, not just my parents, but my grandmother, my aunt. It was just, it was just the source of, well, you know we need to just cut your food we just need to you know not eat that much and and there was shame associated with the food and um, it was confusing for me there was no starving children from anywhere in the world in my house it was here's the food but you don't have to finish it so I got very mixed messages about eating from early on and the only thing I knew was I was not supposed to eat a lot in front of other people, and I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. So I started to eat in secret at a young age. I mean, food was just not readily available. So, you know, when I turned 16, I had my little red chevette, and I would chop to it up the hills, and I would make that a haven to eat. I say I'm going to the library, I'm going to 7-Eleven to eat. It's always the bottom feeder things, you know. It's never like I'm going to gourmet, whatever, but it's always the low. Because I, I thought it would just be this little thing, this one little convenience package. I never, even through my binging, it would never let me just get so much. I was a sliver and slice girl. And before you know it, the thing is gone, whatever, I'm slivering and slicing. And because it was never the intention of, oh, my God, I'm going to have this whole thing, it was like, I'm just going to have a little piece. I'm just going to have a little bite. It's just this. You know what? Well, maybe I'll get a little more. And, you know, one thing that I did want to also bring up is, um, you know, growing up, I'm hearing impaired. And, you know, my dad is deaf, and everybody else outside of our nuclear family here is perfectly fine. 
but nobody could communicate. It was like this big white elephant in the room. And it was always mainstream, be normal, be normal, be normal. What's normal? I was being singled out for speech therapy. I was being, you know, pulled up front. And I, had, I wore my hair long so people didn't know. They thought I was stuck up a snob. She's ignoring me. I just didn't hear. So I didn't feel like I fit in. And I did all of these things growing up to say, look at me. Tell me I'm okay. I was a valedictorian in my high school. I was a yearbook editor. I was on the tennis team. And it was always because I can't change the hearing. But the weight, oh, the weight is something you can change. So it's like, why can't you just lose the weight? You have such a pretty face. Why can't you just eat a little less? And my grandmother, I mean, bless her, she lived 101. And for her generation, it was, if you looked good, you will succeed in life. If you did not, you would fail, and no granddaughter of hers was going to fail in life. So at age 16, I was not asked. I was told, you're going on a diet. And I went on this commercial diet. It wasn't even real food. It was like this canned powder stuff. And of course, it works for a while. Of course, I'm very good. I'm a, I come from this goody two-shoes, and oh, I'm going to do what I'm told until I cannot do it anymore until I have this rebellious side in me that was just like, I can't, I can't. And of course, I would gain all that I lost and more. So I started the first diet at age 16. I came into OA right before my 40th birthday. Always either on a diet or always way off. I'm a woman of extremes, black and white, on and off. I know how to eat and I know how to diet. I know the calories of every itty-bitty thing that went into my mouth, and I would weigh and measure the food. I would weigh and measure myself multiple times a day. I would write what time I ate, and I would just, you know, how I felt when I ate, and all of these things. I still couldn't control it. But I still, it's just a food problem. You know what? This time, now I know. You know what? This therapy, 15 years off and on, I know why. Oh, my God. And it's because of you, 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 and you. And I'm pointing the finger at other people, not realizing how many fingers are pointing back at me. But I never, not in the therapist, looked at me like, oh, poor you, poor you. I'm like, yes, poor me. <laughs> and, and, I really, and it never, never helped me stop. So I tried all kinds of commercial diets. I was in emotional eating recovery group. I did acupuncture. I did food, allergy, elimination diet, you name it, self-help guru. Every workshop, every book, every whatever, I know. I just need to know. I just need to know the secret. The secret ingredient, the missing piece. Then I'll be able to get this under control. And like I said, it always worked for a while, and then it would just snap. It was like holding in my breath, holding, let's see how long I hold in my breath. And then I had to exhale. And it was always with a vengeance. It was never, oh, let me just have a little bit. No. Because I was gaining, losing. It went from 10, 20, 30, 40 to 80 or 90 pounds before I came into OA. You know, so I'm from the East Coast. And um, I've been in L.A. for 17 years. And I came out for a job that I got downsized from six weeks later after they moved me. 
and I sold my home the day that there was a company meeting. I said, you know, some of you will stay, some of you will go. You just sit and wait. I was the last one called because I was the newest. I had sold my home that morning, and they said, we can relocate you back. And I said, to where? I have no place to go. They gave me three months severance, three months to the day. I got another job. Got laid off again. They ran out of money. Twice in one year, and I had come from working in a stable, stable job for ten years. And I said, you know what? Forget this. I'm going out on my own. And it's funny because the first job sent me in a, a, a seminar on self-employment. So I went out on my own. I've been self-employed for, in January, it'll be 17 years because it'll be 18 that I've been in L.A. And what a compulsive overeater dream. <laughs> to walk out of my house, the commute is from the bed to the office, rolling out. Didn't care what I look like because I'm, a, you know, I work with computers. I just need to show up in my computer. I, you know, and, you know, when you're, when I was, you know, 292, personal hygiene was a chore. I hated my body. That it had to go to the bathroom and that I had to take a shower. I was so annoyed with it. I just wanted to be a bobbing, floating head. Because that's where I lived, in my head. And so... You know, I learned, okay, you know, I, I got to be alert while I work, so I would not really eat during the day, and I eat all night. And, you know, I kind of joked when I came to OA, you know, I had this leopard print bin, well, I didn't call it bin chair, but it was a recliner, and Friday nights, it was my time. I call it my Friday night food fest. I couldn't be bothered, you know, making multiple trips from the kitchen to the recliner, so I had to bring all the food out, and literally surrounded myself with it like a food blanket. And I would sit up and eat, recline, sleep, sit up and eat, and oh yeah, the TV and the remote, they're my friend, my date, my everything. It was my routine for most of the weekend. And I would be the first to tell you, I'm fine. I'm perfectly fine. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I'm self-employed. I'm self-sufficient. I got my food. That's all I needed. That's all I needed. And I would go out into the world, and I would wear a mask. And it's so ironic because I had a collection of 60 masks hanging on my wall. Not realizing what that represented. Because I like all these different kinds of masks. And what could I wear and be, you know. But I would come home. It's like, where's mine? Where is mine? I deserve mine. And mine always involved food. So, fast forward to right before I came into OA, you know, taking all these self-help classes, right? So I figured, you know what? It's time for me to be in a relationship. So I took a class. And oh, my God. You know, because all these years, by the way, when I'm eating, I'm stuffing my feeling. I do not feel feeling. I don't want to. They're scary. Stuff, squash. And literally, it just, you know, push the boundaries in my body. So, of course, I'm taking this class and feelings are coming up. And my eating, if you can believe it, got even more out of control. And the instructor at the time had been a member of OA for 12 years. And she had said, well, you know, you may want to try Overeaters Anonymous. And I had no exposure to the 12-step program, but I kind of heard about it. And I remember, I think I even said it to her. And I said, those are for people with real problems. Not me. I just have a food problem. She's like, well, you may want to check it out. Took another three weeks. 
And I went to a meeting in Santa Monica, and I remember thinking, first of all, you know, I'm 292, right, and what are all these thin people doing here? Why are they holding hands? Why are they mentioning God? Why do they want my name? Why do they want my phone number? Back off. No, no, no. But you know what? Somebody at the end of the meeting said hello. And I thought she was nice. Let me go back. So I went to a newcomer meeting in Roxbury Park. And I just kept going to meetings. And I started to hear that I'm not the only one that will eat things that are frozen because I can't be bothered waiting till things to froth or eat with my hands or eat, you know, throw something away only to take it out later, eat things that are on the floor. Eat. It's just eating is primal for me. My biggest thing was birthday cake. That was the one time in the year that my parents said, have at it. And I got the biggest piece and I felt love for just being born. So I kept trying to recreate that experience. And I kind of joke, and I said, if I had candles in every cake I ate, I'd be older than Buddha. <laughs> you know, because I just, and it, it, that escalated to a slice, to a small, to a quarter of a sheet, to a sheet. I didn't know it then, but what happens when I have sugar, and I'm talking about desserts, Cakes, pies, ice cream, I don't care if it's sugar, sugar-free, fruits are sweetened, agave, whatever. It tastes sweet to me. The minute it hits my tongue, I can breathe. And I think all's right with the world. And I remember my first sponsor said to me, Oh yeah, that's what happens when I, you know, take a you know, I hit a snort of cocaine. I was like, ah! I was very dramatic. I was very defensive, very vocal. Ah, no! You know, the drama queen. I am not an addict. No! So, yeah, I keep coming back. So, <laughs> I went to six meetings. And on the sixth meeting, I met somebody um, who turned out, you know, to be my first sponsor. And my biggest character defect is people-pleasing. And... We stood outside in the parking lot, and he said, we had come out of a meeting, and he had said, why don't you start your accidents today? Three meals, two snacks, a meal has a beginning, middle, and end. I don't care what you eat. <sighs> Someone tell me what to do with my food. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. But I couldn't say no. And we stood there for an hour. An hour we would talk about other things. Let's just start today. Oh, my God. You know, the day's already half over, you know. And in order for me to get rid of him, I finally said yes. And the next day, and I flipped out. I flipped out because I would not use, I don't know. I don't know what it was, why it was different from a diet. But it was like, oh, my God, what, am I going to make it from breakfast to lunch to a snack to a dinner to a snack? I don't know. I don't know. Because my, it just, I needed it at my second call. But I did it, and the next morning I remember I saw him at another meeting, and he had said, did you do it? And I said, yes, and he was so excited, and I remember thinking, what a freak. Why does he care what I do with my food? <laughs> and it wasn't until I went through my relapses that I recognized that what a gift one day can be. One day. Because I went through excruciating pain to get one day when I was in relapse. So, fast forward. So, OA was, in the beginning, was very social for me. Working out of my house, 
this is a way for me to be with people. And I felt like we had like a grad, you know, like an entry cl- college class, and I kind of dove in the middle. So the first year, boom, boom, boom. But, you know, my first sponsor lost his accident. I'm like, I don't care. I want you to still sponsor me. I made him my higher power. And I'm like, okay, that didn't work very well. Got another sponsor. And she said, I'm not your mother. I'm not your therapist. I'm not your friend. I'm here to guide you through the 12 steps as outlined in the big book of Alcoholic Anonymous. I used to blasphemize the book. I'm like, why do I need to read the big book? I'm not an alcoholic. What do I have in common with these two drunks? I said, yeah, well, we'll sit down and we'll... Uh, you know, and every week I would meet with her for an hour, and we would, I would read out loud, paragraph by paragraph, and she would ask me, have you ever behaved, acted, thought, felt, X, Y, Z, with food? And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> yes, I have. Sugar is my alcohol. I cannot safely have a bite I have tried so many times in so many ways. I can't. I can't. I cannot safely overeat or overindulge. Again, I have tried and tried and failed. But I had to do the trying myself. Because when I came into OA, it was another thing for me to try. I wasn't on my knees. So I worked the 12 steps to the best of my ability steps four and five thank God I, I had ignorance on my side because she, when she told me to write in column format write everybody people institute, you know place principles institution that you're angry at even if it takes up an iota of space in your mind put it down and I remember thinking I'm not angry I'm not angry at anybody I'm nice I'm a nice girl and somebody shared you know beware of the hundred pounder with a smile on her face <laughs> Because I wasn't just angry. I was enraged. Enraged. I had 240 names. And if I could remember the name, it was the neighbor who lived next to me in 1980, blah, blah. I mean, I just, if it occupied space in my mind, I put it down. Put it down. I'm not kidding. It was like a stack of paper an inch and a half thick. Because I was like, oh, my God, who I'm angry at and what I'm angry and why? And then I had to look at my part. And not just what I did back then. Why am I holding on to the resentment? How is it serving me now? Because we're ingenious beings in that I don't do anything if it doesn't serve a purpose. Even my character defects have served me in some way. It keeps me from being accountable. It keeps me from being responsible. It keeps me from taking action. All of these things serve me. People pleasing so I don't have to feel bad about myself. All these things. So it was eye-opening. It was really eye-opening. And it took 17 hours to read that fourth step. And I remember thinking after it was done, I do not have to carry this inside of me anymore. It's pretty tremendous. So I worked the steps to the best of my ability. You know, steps eight and nine, very anticlimactic for me. My parents were like, oh, okay, dear. Well, do you feel better now? And like patting me on the head. I'm like, okay, this is not working, but whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because I needed to do it. I lost 100 pounds in the first year. I was of service. I did all of these things. Check, 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 check. They talk about this disease and, and recovery being threefold. Physical, 
mental, emotional, and spiritual. I came in, I, I, I believed in a God, but it's intangible and not, I, I couldn't feel it. So what do you mean turn my, my will and my life over to the care of something that I can't touch and see and don't quite believe will help me? I believe, you know, it's going to be hard. Life has to be hard. I grew up that you have to work hard. You know, my dad, without hearing a word, had a PhD in chemistry. Nobody could work as hard as him. So, to me, I felt like I had to work so hard. And lessons are not always pleasant. So, it was like, oh my God, I don't know if I want to go through this. I didn't think God would really help me. So, I worked the physical part. And, of course... When I put down the food, my emotions, oh my God, they didn't die. They were buried alive. And they came out just unbelievably so. And I remember just curling up in fetal position in the bathtub without water, with a blanket, just wailing that my neighbors could hear. From lifetime, lifetime of feelings. Not, you know, not felt. And, but I learned that feelings like meals have a beginning, middle, and end. They come, they go, they come back, and they go. And I just need to, instead of be so rigid and say, oh my God, oh my God, oh God, I can't deal with this, and stuff with food, they're just waiting for me to, you know, to feel them. That I could just feel them. So I was doing two legs of the three-legged stool, and that two legs don't stand. So I fell. 21 months, is interesting, I'm 21 months now, but... um. I had a snack that um, I was cooking for and that was bigger than my meals and I was like, this is not a snack. And I wanted to be rigorously honest and I was like, I'm going to restart my accident. And I remember a long time her saying to me, right or wrong, she said, keep going. Keep going. And I'm like, no, no, no. I need to be honest. It took me four years to get another one-year candle. Because for me, once that crack was made in my foundation it just kept getting wider and wider and I like to use analogies a lot you know I've heard people talk about you know they tell you don't go down that road there's a big gorilla that's waiting for you I'm like ah that gorilla's not going to mess with me I can handle that gorilla not to come to find out it's an 800 pound gorilla that won't let me go just because I say you know what I've had enough because I can't tell you how many times in my relapses, oh my God, I am done. I'm done. I can't take this. I'm in pain. I'm like a beach whale on the floor. And, and you know, I got down to 119 pounds. Not an accident because I kept going, I just got to get back on. I have to get back on. I was able to do it for a while until I couldn't do it. And so at the low weight, so that I got down... 119. I, I mean, I had gained and lost, I'm not kidding, over 500 pounds in the nine and a half years. So it's in a, still a woman of extremes. And I'm trying, you know, this time around to live in the gray in every way. My life, my food. Like, it's okay. It's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to be imperfect. I hate it. I hate it with a passion. And so much, that, you know, a lot of my relapses... I couldn't look at myself. I couldn't. And it may not, it may have been a benign thing, but it, it looked so bad in my eyes and I couldn't look in the mirror. And I, I had all these mirrors that were like the bust up, not full length. And I just felt horrible about myself. 
the things that I told myself. It wasn't just the food. It was the incomprehensible demoralization. It was my negative thinking that led me down the rabbit hole, and the next thing I know, I'm like wondering who's going to show up at my funeral. I mean, really, where, where, does that, where, where does that lead me? Nowhere. And I, was, I felt, I don't know, like powerless over it. You know, sometimes it's like I took a little thread and things just unraveled. Like I couldn't just leave it alone. I'm a scab picker. I'm, you know, I'm like, I couldn't just let it go and let the healing happen on its own. I'm like, I got to look at it. I got to look at it in different ways. And oh, I don't know. Thinking I know best. So I've had three relapses. And I never intended to relapse any time. I never intended to get accident any time. It truly is a grace. I have never left the room. But let me tell you, to come to a meeting in relapse, having gained the weight, this last relapse I gained 110 pounds in 11 months. I had gotten back down, you know, I, it was, I mean, it's insanity. I went to 119, back up 175, down 135, back up 192, down 123, back up to 235, and someone asking me, what is it going to take? And I'm like, I don't know, but you're not helping by asking me that. Because <laughs> I kept thinking, if I keep going past this weight, if I keep, I started not to be able to breathe again and have sleep apnea. And, you know, when I was 292, I couldn't, I had, um, I had all kinds of feet problems, and I couldn't walk flat on my feet I had to you know they were on the sides of my feet I could hardly walk around the block I had trouble breathing and I had to sleep propped up because I can breathe it didn't matter it was like I'm not parting with my food so when I got up to 235 I got a uh, about a vertigo and it scared me it's so much that friend had to call paramedics because I couldn't move I couldn't stop vomiting it was just I couldn't oh my god and I thought to myself, I am not invincible. Because I think there was still a willful part of me. It's like, it's okay. I'm going to be okay. It's all right. I'm not hurting anybody, including myself. Because I still thought I was trying to comfort myself with the food. Not realizing I'm sabotaging and hurting myself. And, you know, it took another month. Two years ago, November, I was flying back east for Thanksgiving. I'm not fitting well in the seat. The baby's crying, and I'm hyperventilating about seeing my family for Thanksgiving. I have my stash of food under the seat, and I had this thought. I don't feel well. I think I'm going to order a sandwich. I had three meals that day. Never have I been so grateful for those three meals. They were big meals, but it didn't matter. Then I was somewhere else. I got to go to meetings anonymously. And I came back, went to different meetings, took a service position, and I thought, okay, I guess I'm recommitting back to OA. I didn't know. Got another sponsor at 60 days. And, again, the steps. And this time, it's not just working the steps on paper or in these rooms. Take it out into my life. I cannot let feelings fester. I have to address and stop and do spot check inventory all the time and I will pause and I say okay something just shifted what happened and if I need to I write about it if I need to I text or call somebody or take a walk I do something about it because I cannot afford to let that fester and have it stay inside me even if it's resentment and somebody else wronged me whatever it doesn't matter it affects me 
The longer I have this abstinence, the more I want to guard it and keep it. Because I'm sorry, it was hell. This this last relapse, you know, and I thought I don't have another one in me, but guess what? I guess I did. And guess what? I have another recovery in me. I didn't know. I just kept showing up, kept coming back. If I couldn't get to meetings, I got on the phone. I was on phone meetings all the time. I would put myself on mute, and it was like OA radio, hoping that I would get it through osmosis. I can't tell you what happened that day on that flight. It just did. It just did. And I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how God has shown up for me, because I come from this, how can I turn my life and will over um, to the care of God when I don't, I'm very visual. I'm also an artist. So I need to see and I need to feel, you know, it's just like, I don't understand, but guess what? I'm having conversations with my head. Somebody's talking back to me. No, I don't hear voices, but it's like a maternal, loving, kind, gentle voice. Even when I didn't believe it, I kept acting as if, and I talk, and I have conversations again throughout the day. It's not enough for me just in the morning, just at night, just in ritual sit down, okay, I'm going to do my whatever. It's throughout the day. Throughout the day. And I'm constantly saying the serenity prayer when I'm agitated. Third step prayer when I find myself, okay, I want to take my will back. And and also, the food is just the tip of the iceberg. The tip of the iceberg. I have a life problem. I had to go to another 12-step program to deal with people and relationships. That's my core. That's why I eat. And I guess the pain of the food is greater. Because for a while, the pain of recovery was greater. And I didn't want to let go of the food. Because when I wake up and the sun's too bright, no, I want to go back to sleep. But the pain of the food was so great, so I'm willing to look at all these things. And it's okay. I can look at myself in the mirror and I can really like what I see. And I can look into my eyes and say, you're beautiful and mean it. Never have I been able to do that. Never have I been willing to do the work that it takes. And I do a lot of work. I'm with a sponsor now who it, it swears by the writing. I've had a lot of resistance to writing, but I write. I read it out loud to her. We point out character defects, the opposite, and let it go. There's something very freeing about having a witness or even having myself hear what I'm saying. I let it go. I'll take it back, let it go again. I mean, if I could just let it go and be done with it and, okay, God, take over everything, uh, you know, I would if I could. But just um, the difference in my life is not just physical. It's in the weight. I'm training for a half marathon. And... You know, I did nine miles this morning, and what a freaking gift. What a gift. Emotionally, I'm able to have conversations with people. I used to have a revolving door of friendship. Either you left or I left, or I would make you leave whenever a conflict happened. And learning to stay. To stay and, you know, withstand the discomfort. And then God works. To me, I see God at the synchronous events in my life. 
you know, after 15 years of self-employment, I went in for a job for two days. It's been almost two years later. I never thought, I swore, I knew I would never work for anybody else. Guess what? I am. And it, it, a lighter burden. I have more money in the bank. I'm out of my house. I'm socializing more. I'm caring about how I look. I dressed up, do the hair, the makeup, the, and I feel better. I feel like a part of, like I belong in this life. And even with, with people, I reconnected recently with somebody I haven't seen in 30 years. We're from the same hometown. He lives three miles away from me. Who, who could orchestrate any of this? He had brought me many gifts and many lessons of healing. When the timing is right and when I'm ready, the teacher really appears. And I just am so grateful and so thankful. I used to scoff if people say they're a grateful compulsive overeater. I'm like, oh, what's so grateful about that? <laughs> but you know what? If it weren't for that, I would not be on the path. I would not be a spiritual seeker. And I could not imagine my life, however many years ago, where I'm at now. So I have no idea what life's going to be like six months from now. And with that in mind, I used to be someone I used to have to know. I had to know everything so I could plan and prepare. And now I don't know. I don't know. It brings a lot of freedom. I think I'm going to end with that. Thanks for letting me share. Sometimes there are questions. So what do I think gave me courage to go through the relapses? I don't think it was courage. It was a lack of, I didn't know where else to go. I didn't know what else to do because I had tried everything else. And you mean courage to come back? Well, I never left. I never left. And it was, oh, it was never, like even when I started relapsing this last time, I never would have thought 11 months later I would be 110 pounds heavier. It was, I just had a bite that led to a, a bin, that led to a month, that led to, oh my God. And sometimes I couldn't. I just, I just uh, got on phone meetings. Sometimes the pain was so great. I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't work when you have a head full of OA. There's no escaping it. And I would just keep trying, and sometimes I would reach out to people. Sometimes I would isolate. I don't know if it's courage. It was just I didn't know what else to do. So I just kept trying. I mean, I'm still in awe that I, I'm here, standing in front of you today. Can I talk about my spiritual program? Um, as far as like the daily practices I'd like to say that I do things perfectly every day I do not <laughs> I'll be honest with you um, I have a busy morning so I will say prayers there's nothing ritualistic about it but I will say them and greet the morning you know hello God in the evenings when I do more of the meditation the quiet time review of the day Sometimes I write. I write as need. It's more of an as-needed basis. Because, again, if I set myself up to rit ritual and have to do everything every day, I won't continue. It's just, a, you know, and that's just my own experience. It's not recommended. But throughout the day, there are days that I will write 
couple times a day, and then I will share it, and I pray and meditate. I guess I don't set a separate time. I do it in the car in the parking lot before I go into work. I'll, you know, do it before my meals. It's just become much more integrated. How did I get my parents to support me in recovery? Well, when they saw the weight loss, they were thrilled. <laughs> they even sent me cards, congratulations. You know, it's not up to my parents to understand what this journey has been about for me. And I'm 3,000 miles away, so they're not seeing me every day. And my dad would say, you need to go to meetings every day for the rest of your life. I don't like you going with, you know, strange places with strange people. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I am. I am. And it doesn't matter whether they support me or not. I mean, and they, they do as long as I'm on. When I'm relapsing, they were very upset. They were very upset. Oh, my God, you got fat again. And I had to learn, you know, my biggest amend and biggest growth with them because I was so angry at them. Like, I blamed them for everything. And after doing the steps on them, and one day I just looked at them, and all the anger just evaporated because I thought they are people with hope, dreams, faults, frailties, and they did not know what to do with an almost 300-pound daughter. And they, they don't change. They may not talk about my weight, but they're like, are you going to comb your hair today? Or, you know. <laughs> and I laugh. I laugh. The first time, you know, there was one time I came back, I had cut my hair, and my mom's like, I don't like your hair short. She didn't even say hello. I don't like your hair short. And I said, oh, well. And then we both laugh. <laughs> That's the gift. It's how I change my perspective. They will be who they are. And I still love them dearly for it. Program shows up in my exercise. How, I'm sorry, I'm training for a half marathon, and um, can I explain how program shows up in my exercise? It's another commitment, you know. To me, it's uh, an action plan. I feel better. I don't just, just do it for the physical health. I do it for my mental health because I feel so much better when I move my body. And I found that I like moving my body. I like being mobile. And even in the training because I'll, I'll run two minutes and walk two minutes, and I have to keep my focus right here, right now. What's the next step? The next indicator, the next step, the next step. is a mental challenge. And so I bring one day at a time, one step at a time, into that training. And it's tremendous. So, again, by doing a little step by step and not looking, oh, my God, I have nine miles to do today, I just like, I just have two minutes. I can do this for two minutes. Same thing with the food. I can do this for the next hour. I can't tell you I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. It's the same, same thinking. Stay in the present. And, you know, the benefits are great. Okay. Thank you.